As we come to the reading and preaching of God's Word, let me pause and pray for that as well. Heavenly Father, we come to you um, asking you to to minister to our hearts uh, through the reading and preaching of your Word. We acknowledge that um, as we read and hear your Word proclaimed, uh, more is going on than meets the eye, that something supernatural is going on, that you are moving by your Spirit to uh, convict us of sin, to draw our eyes to Christ and His cross, uh, that we might have faith. And so we pray that you would, you would give us ears to hear your word and faith to believe all that is taught uh, about Christ and about His promises and about you working for the good of your church. Give us, give us faith to believe your promises. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's amazing how two different people witnessing the same event can have two totally different perspectives of what's going on. So I remember many years ago when I was a teenager, one night uh, leaving my house with a friend of mine. We were coming down a dark country road, coming down to a stoplight, uh, a stop sign. We were going to turn left, but just out of the corner of my eye and out of the corner of my friend's eye, we saw a man approaching. It's late at night, it's completely dark, and we get freaked out. And so I put my foot on the gas and I take off to the left, hardly kind of coming to one of those rolling stops at a stop sign because we were so afraid of what this man was about to do. We took off going left, and as we rounded the curve, we saw uh, fire trucks, ambulances, police cars. There had been a terrible accident, and we really put our lives at danger by going ahead without stopping like we should have. We couldn't see the accident from where we were. And so from our perspective, some stranger is approaching the car, and yet we came to find out later after the police officer stopped me and asked what I was doing, it was a firefighter who was wanting to make sure we slowed down and knew that there was a wreck ahead so that we wouldn't encounter danger ourselves. We had totally different perspectives on what was going on. It affected the way we thought. It affected the way we acted and behaved. And there could have been severe consequences for me not seeing the situation as it really was. And really, it's no different. It's much more serious as we think about people's perspectives on the cross. There could be no greater consequences for someone not recognizing the reality of what took place 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross for sinners. It means life and death. It means heaven and hell. It means eternal life and eternal death in hell. You speak to different people about Christ and his cross, and you'll get different perspectives. Some will be ambivalent about it, thinking it's meaningless, It's not important. Others may become angry about it. Others thankful for it. Still others who, like Jesus and all that he stands for in his teaching and in his life, and yet when it comes to his cross, they minimize it because it seems foolish. The theme of our message this morning is this. The message of the cross is an offense to those who are of the world. But it is the power and wisdom of God for our salvation to those who belong to him. 
The message of the cross is an offense to those who are of the world, but it is the power and the wisdom of God to those who are being saved. And Paul's point in this is that this changes how we live. It changes how we think. It changes how we speak. It changes how we go about our day-to-day lives. It changes how we relate to other people. So look at our passage with me. It's 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 25. The scripture says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greek, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Last week we saw that the Corinthians believers were divided among themselves because they were picking teams within the church and siding with certain leaders that they thought were more influential or more eloquent or had greater leadership skills. But Paul appeals to them to be perfectly united with one another. And to do this, you remember what the key to the unit, their unity would be. It would be the gospel. It would be the cross of Christ, the message of the cross. For it is in Christ and Christ alone that we as a church, that we as believers throughout the world will be united. Not in our musical tastes, not in our cultural ways, not in our political parties or sports teams or personality traits. It is in Christ that God's people will have perfect unity as we find our identity in Christ and his cross. So that's why Paul says he made it his aim to preach the gospel, that this is why Christ sent him. Now, he knew full well that not everyone would receive this message of Christ. He knew some would reject it and scoff at it, and that's exactly some of what he encountered when he preached the gospel in Corinth. And it became clear to him that the Corinthian culture was beginning to influence the Christians who lived there. It's true of any age. It's true of us in ways that we don't even realize it. That we are influenced by our culture rather than our identity in Christ. The reasons there were divisions among the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, is because they were prizing things that the culture prized. They were prizing prestige. They were prizing power. They were prizing earthly wisdom, being first, getting the good things in life. These are the things that they began to value because it's what their culture valued. So in these verses, Paul continues to remind his brothers and sisters in Christ of their unity in Christ, particularly their unity in the message of the cross. 
Rather than prizing what the world around them prized, they needed more than ever to treasure the cross in all its humility, in all its weakness, in all of its ugliness. They needed to treasure the cross of Jesus Christ. So I want you to notice from this passage four truths about this message of the cross. And as we consider the message of the cross, may we find our unity in it. May we find our identity in Christ and his cross. Notice its division, its offense, its power, and its wisdom. Notice its division, its offense, its power, and wisdom. First, notice its division. Paul has been talking about unity and division in, these, in this first chapter. And he admits there are legitimate divisions in the world, but not in the church. There should be no divisions whatsoever, he says, between spiritual brothers and sisters. But there is a division between those who are perishing and those who are being saved. There is a division between those who are on the road to ruin and those who are on the road to eternity. And Paul says it's the message of the cross which reveals that division. The message of the cross brings people to a crossroads. And it divides people. Divides people between those who are of the world and those who are of God. To those who are perishing, he says, this message of the cross is foolishness. But to those who are being saved... It's the power of God. Notice Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14, to show this isn't simply some new thing that God is doing. He has always been about separating out his people from those who are not his people. So Isaiah the prophet says, With wonder upon wonder, the wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Those who simply honor God with their lips, those whose hearts are far from God, those who puff themselves up in their own knowledge or power and seeking God in their own ways will come to ruin. But those who humbly come to Him in faith, those humble people who belong to God will be lifted up. So Isaiah says later in chapter 29, once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. God has always been dividing his people from those of the world. But now the dividing line has become much clearer. There is no mistaking who belongs to God and who doesn't. The cross of Jesus Christ is the dividing line between those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Now as humans, it seems inevitable, natural for us to divide among ourselves. So we divide among different languages. We divide uh, among different cultures. We divide because of different skin colors. We divide because of different political views. If you haven't seen one yet, you're sure, sure to see it before long. A map of the United States with different states colored different. Each state colored red for Republican. Uh, each state colored blue for Democrat. And then there are a few that are colored yellow for what we call battleground states, yet to be determined. And it seems inevitable that we as humans will find something we can divide over. And yet, the one true division, the one division that will happen not only in this lifetime, but also in the life to come, is the division that 
occurs when someone comes to the crossroad and stands in the shadow of the cross and has to decide what are they going to do with Christ on the cross. What you do with Christ and his cross will either mean you are perishing or you are being saved. And then consider what this means for the church. For those of us who have embraced Christ and his cross and have been welcomed into the family of God, it means there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, this doesn't erase our cultures. It doesn't erase our genders. It doesn't erase our skin color or our languages. But here's what it does. It erases the barriers which once divided us. And now we are one in Christ. We are united in Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. The word of the cross united those in the church, but it divides the church from the world. So the very thing that brings division, the cross of Christ, is what unites us together beyond anything else, beyond any differences that we may have. We see it's division And in the same sense, it unites us in the cross. But second, look at the cross and its offense. The message of the cross is not naturally pleasing to people. This is why the spiritual division occurs when people encounter the cross. Look at the two examples of offense Paul gives in verses 22 and 23. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Now, we live in a country in which people are constantly and easily offended. Sometimes you feel you're walking around on a thin sheet of ice that's going to break at any moment because somebody somewhere is going to be offended regardless of of your genuine intentions. But this does mean we have to be careful in a sense, especially when it comes to giving witness about Christ. When we tell someone the message of the cross, for instance, we need to be very careful that if anything offends, it is the cross of Christ and nothing in our life or our presentation that gives offense. And it will offend, there's no doubt. We know that. We don't have to provide offense because preaching the cross gives offense. Sometimes that keeps us from talking about it as much as we should. We don't want to feel the sting of rejection. But look at what Paul says about those who reject the gospel. Jews, he says, reject the message of the cross because they demand signs and wonders. The cross is a stumbling block for them. It's a hurdle that they can't overcome. For them, God worked in the world in miraculous and powerful ways. And the Messiah, when he came, would ride in on a cloud of glory, mopping the floor with his enemies. So when Paul came and preached a beaten, naked Messiah who was pinned to a cross, it made no sense whatsoever. It's a stumbling block. It made them stumble over this message. And for everyone else who Paul calls Greeks or Gentiles, they thought the whole thing about Jesus on a cross was foolishness. The reaction would be, why would you talk about such nonsense in polite company? You're, the, you're killing the life of the party. 
Why would you even talk about it? It's just disgusting. We want to think about higher, more noble, more respectable things. And you bring up the brutal and disgusting death of just a common criminal? And how does Paul respond to these objections, to these desires of the Jews and Greeks? Well, he doesn't give them what they want. They wanted signs and wonders. They wanted wisdom, earthly wisdom, and he doesn't give them what they want. Rather, he gives them a crucified Christ. But we preach Christ crucified. So Paul does not take the seeker-sensitive approach to preaching. He could have. He could have appealed to the Corinthians with persuasive words of wisdom. He could have thrilled them with his eloquence. He could have highlighted the the miraculous works of God done by his own hands, done in the church, but he doesn't. It seems many of the Corinthian Christians would have loved that. It would have given them a little bit of prestige to be associated with someone like that as they walked throughout the city. They could be proud knowing that their leader was gifted, had charisma, had eloquence, and had the respect of the who's who in the city. You see, the problem seems to have been that the Corinthian Christians had forgotten the glory of the gospel is in in its humility. That the power of the gospel is in its weakness. That their Messiah came not from the king's palace, but from a feeding trough in a stable and was born to a young virgin. The message of the cross is that God the Son humbled himself by becoming a man, even a servant. And that Jesus humbled himself even more to the point of death and to the point of an ugly, shameful, gruesome death on the cross. And this is the center of our faith. Can you believe that? That this gruesome act of capital punishment is at the center of our faith. Our Messiah died on a cross for sinners. Jesus Christ crucified for us. Jesus Christ as a substitute for sinners. Blood coming out of his hands and his feet and his side. Suffering under the wrath of God. The wrath that was due to us. Taking the place of those who rightly deserved the punishment from God. And this seems foolish. Do we, do we deserve God's punishment like that? Christ on a cross for us. One theologian helpfully warns us, we have become far too used, used to the cross. We have surrounded the scandal of the cross with roses. We've made it palatable. We have removed its ugliness, its horror, And it's shame. Like the Corinthians, many Christians today have become embarrassed about the message of the cross. Perhaps they want to focus on things more high-minded. Perhaps they want to be seen as strong, as a power-voting block to be reckoned with. Perhaps their good desire for inclusion has caused them to minimize the cross. But let's bring it back away from many Christians to us. What about us. What about you? Have you become embarrassed of the cross? 
You know it has the potential to offend other people. So does it make you shy away from talking about it? We can gladly talk about Jesus with most people and they'll be happy to hear about it. But the moment we begin talking about the cross, we might be seen as having an unhealthy obsession over something too morbid to talk about in polite company. I mean, think about all the ways people are liable to become offended because of the cross. First of all, there's the fear we might have of seeming weak in other people's eyes. Our culture values winning, being in first place, getting ahead of others, and being at the top. Are you afraid that identifying with Christ and His cross will make you look weak? Will take away opportunities for success and promotion? Or there could be a fear that you'll appear simple-minded by talking too much about the cross. You want others to think highly of your intelligence. You want to appear to be learned and rational. But there's this fear that identifying with Christ and His cross will make you seem ignorant. A third fear you might have is that you'll appear mean by talking about the cross. For instance, to say that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation is to say that other people are wrong. And to say that he died on a cross because that's what sinners deserve is to call someone else a sinner. And that is offensive. Almost everyone will admit that they are a sinner. Generally, we are sinners. None of us are perfect, everyone will say. But if you start telling people that this is why Jesus had to die, that they are such sinners that Christ had to suffer not only punishment on the cross, but under God's wrath, well, you're going to sound mean by talking like that. People are going to be offended. Think about it. If we give way to these fears and shy away from the cross, not only will you be rejecting the humility that comes from identifying with Christ and His cross, you will also be neglecting the only message that has the power to save sinners. You will be neglecting the only message that has the power to save the very people you claim to care about. And this is our third point, the power of the cross. So it's division. And we saw... It's offense. Now consider its power. The message of the cross is the power of God for saving sinners. The message of the cross is God's power for saving sinners. This is why Paul aimed to preach it in simplicity, without gimmicks or empty rhetoric of his time. We see this in verse 17. Christ sent Paul to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And look at verse 18. To those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now often when we think about power, we think about explosions or force. But Paul Paul's focus here is more on ability or effectiveness. The message of the cross is powerful to save sinners. It is effective to save sinners. Humans cannot reach up to God by our own wisdom. Humans cannot get to God by our own strength or by signs and wonders. The only way we can reach up to God is if He reaches down to us. And this is what He has done in the cross. 
but it's not effective for all. Not all who hear believe. Not all who hear this message of the cross of Christ are saved. So is it effective or is it not effective? Well, Paul says it is effective. It is powerful. And look why it is so. Verse 23. Verse 23 locates the effectiveness of the gospel in the calling of God to those whom God has called. It is an offense to Jews and Greeks, but to those whom God has called, which includes both Jews and Gentiles, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, although the message of Christ crucified is not naturally acceptable to people, those who are effectually called by God's grace accept it because of a supernatural enablement. There is a work of God which must be done before someone comes to faith in Christ. The only reason anyone has ever come to repentance and faith in Christ is because they were first regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They were first given a new heart by the Holy Spirit to respond in repentance and faith. It was God's grace working in them that caused them to understand and believe the gospel. But there's something before that too. Before a person was regenerated by the Holy Spirit, effectively called so that they would respond in faith, God had chosen them out of this rebellious world that they should be a part of His people and that Christ's work of redemption would be applied to their account. From start to finish, salvation is completely a work of God's amazing grace. It has been said the only thing we can contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. The wonder of God's grace and salvation is not that few people are saved, but how many are saved and that anyone is saved at all. This is the wonder and the glory of the gospel. You probably saw Simone Manuel win her gold medal at the Olympics recently in swimming. It was the first African-American woman to receive a gold medal uh, for swimming in the Olympics. And if you saw her reaction, it was beautiful. She was so surprised. But even before that, it turns out, she was shocked and surprised to be even on the team. She said in an interview, when I made the team for Rio, I was pretty shocked. She couldn't believe how exciting it was to be able to represent her country. And then she said five minutes uh, after she found out that she had won the gold medal, she was uh, bawling. Actually, this was when she got on the team. Five minutes after she made the team, she was crying. She was bawling because she couldn't believe that she was an Olympian. She felt so honored and blessed and grateful to represent her country in this way. And that was just to get on the team. But then she won the gold medal. It was unexpected to her and many others. She won it in dramatic fashion. And the first thing she could say to the interviewer afterwards was, All glory to God. She was thankful. And for the rest of the interview, you could see tears coming down her face. And how full of joy she was. How amazed and thankful she was that She was even there, first of all, but then that she won the gold. You could tell that she was so grateful to God for her victory. Well, John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, said this, If I ever reach heaven, 
I expect to find there three wonders. First, to meet some I had not thought to see there. Second, to miss some I had thought to see there. And third, the greatest wonder of all, to find myself there. And this is the power of the cross, that God saves sinners by His grace, that God saves you, that God saves me by the cross of Christ. And this moves us, this grace of God moves us in at least two ways. First, it will move us to preach the gospel, the cross of Christ. Even though people naturally reject the message of the cross, we will tell it to others because we know that God saves sinners by His grace through the preaching of this message. And second, it will humble us. A proud Christian is an oxymoron. The cross of Christ humbles us. We'll be humbled by God's grace. And this will lead us back to unity in the gospel. Because we won't think more highly of ourselves than others. Because we'll be looking out for the needs and interests of others rather than our own interests and needs. Because we'll be putting others above ourselves rather than trying to get ahead. We'll be trying to give a boost to someone else in the body and in the world. The message of the cross. It divides between those who are perishing and those who are being saved. It brings offense to those who are of the world. But it is the power to save those who come to him in humble faith. But fourthly, notice its wisdom, the wisdom of this message of the cross. Its wisdom is this. The message of the cross humbles people by revealing the emptiness of this world's wisdom and the impotence of this world's power. And it exalts the wisdom and power of God. We are saved not by our own strength or wisdom, but by Christ crucified for us. For, as Paul says, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God reverses the things of this world. What is thought to be great human wisdom? Really foolishness. And what is thought to be the greatest human strength in the world is really weakness. On the other hand, what the world regards as foolishness and weakness, the cross of Jesus Christ, is true wisdom and is true power from God. As Anthony Thistleton comments, the proclamation of the cross places an emphasis on achieving with an opposing emphasis on receiving. The Corinthian believers were being led astray to treasure worldly wisdom and power. Instead of finding their identity in the cross of Christ, they were busy pursuing the Corinthian dream. Like our American dream. And how many of us have been led astray into that sort of thinking without even realizing it? It's the air we breathe. Is the American dream all there is to live for? Is the American dream worth pursuing for the Christian? Have we all too often fallen into the same sort of thinking as those around us who are of the world? I know we have a lot of soccer fans in our church, and I'm one too, but American football is also about to start in a few weeks. Tom Brady, I'm sure you've heard his name, is the quarterback of the New England Patriots. 
And they appear that like they'll be one of the top teams again this year. But listen to Brady's accomplishments, first of all. He has won three Super Bowl MVP and two league MVP awards. He has been selected to 11 Pro Bowls and has led his team to more division titles than any other quarterback in NFL history. He's broken records as quarterback. And now listen to his words in an interview a few years ago. Someone who has it all. He says, I'm making more money than I ever thought I could make playing football. But he goes on and says, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something out there greater for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people out there would say that this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream. Me? I think, God, there's got to be more than this. And so the interviewer asks, what's the answer? And Tom Brady answers, I wish I knew. And then again, I wish I knew. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the answer is found not in this world's expressions of greatness or riches or wisdom, not in this world's expression of fame and fortune or pursuing the American dream. The answer is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. In its weakness, in its foolishness, this is the wisdom and power of God, which will bring us to our knees in thankfulness and then lift us up to sacrificially serve one another and those in the world. This is the wisdom and power of God, which exalts His wisdom and His greatness and His grace. So let's be sure to find our identity in nothing else except for Jesus Christ and his cross for us. And there we will find unity. There we will find joy. There we will find all the joys that this world can never provide. Let's pray to him and that he would make it so.